Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is Evan Dillon and James Paston, two of the founders of Kits AI. But first of all, it seems that playlist culture is changing songwriting. Songwriters are now tailoring their songs, especially for playlists. So as a result, we're finding short, bland, catchy hook, fairly predictable songs. They usually have a hook or a chorus right at the front of the song. Frequently, there's no bridge and there's fewer choruses than ever. Why is that happening? Well, playlists to some are the new radio, which means that everything is coming at you faster so you don't hit the skip button. One of the things that really hurts music is when we hear what we think is pretty much the same song over and over, regardless of who the artist is, who the producer is, what the record label is. There's a lot of that today. A lot of it has to do with electronic music and the fact that we're using loops and it's so much harder to actually make things sound different when you're doing that. That said, professional songwriters have always written to whatever it was hot at the moment, but there's no sense of risk or experimentation to find something new when that happens. Today we get the same song over and over as a result. That doesn't mean that indie artists have to follow the same rules. New music trends used to come every seven to 10 years, but we'll never have a new one as long as songwriters keep using the same artificial restraints. It's time to break away from the playlist paradigm and stretch out a little. A little experimentation is never a bad thing. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Recording Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on the latest cutting-edge recording technology, multiple ways to mic over 70 different instruments, a new chapter on recording immersive audio, new Hitmaker Engineer interviews, and much more. To get your copy, go to rebrand.ly forward slash recording handbook. That's rebrand.ly forward slash recording handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. A lot of artists have a dream about having a studio with a large format console and a real analog tape machine with a load of outboard gear. Right now, there are excellent deals on large consoles, but usually the costs aren't taken into consideration. I look at some of the prices on relatively big SSLs, and even I'm tempted to buy one. Fact of the matter is, there's a lot of downsides. First of all, there's a lot of space required, and usually the installation is really tricky and expensive, especially getting it into a building. One of the overlooked costs is the electricity and air conditioning bills. One of my really good friends has a studio in his garage and really all it is is a control room, but he has a big Dryden console. And it costs him about $3,000 a month in electricity and air conditioning bills. Then there's the maintenance. Analog consoles always have something wrong with them, from switches that aren't working, to faders that are scratchy, to meters that aren't working, to patch bays that don't seem to work. Yeah, some of that you can fix yourself, but in many cases you have to get somebody in and that's not cheap. When it comes to analog tape, maintenance again rears its ugly head. 
Many of these machines haven't been made in 30, 40, 50 years. And of course, the maintenance is really expensive and there's not many people that know how to do it anymore and parts are not easy to get. So it's going to cost a bunch just to have a tape machine around. Then there's the cost of tape. A new reel of tape is approaching $500 and for that, you only get 15 minutes of recording time at 30 inches per second. That's the fast speed. Then there's the time involved in changing reels. I tell the story of the last project that I did on analog tape. It was about five or six years ago. And one of the big problems that we had was, first of all, running out of tracks. So you get to the end of 24 tracks and it's time for another vocal, but there's no place to put it. Then there's the fact that you have a band out there that's really hot and you have a five minute song, but you only have four minutes of tape left. So by the time it takes to get the reel off, put another reel on, about 10 minutes elapse, and the band is cold now, so you've kind of missed the moment. Digital costs a lot less to get into, has virtually no expensive maintenance to it, has very low power and air conditioning requirements, and therefore the bills are a lot less. And when it comes down to it, you probably won't hear much of a difference from analog in the end. At least, not enough to justify the time and expense. Don't take my word for it, though. Ask a lot of people who made the investment and then went back to digital. My guests today are Evan Dillon and James Paston, two of the founders of the AI voice cloning service, Kits AI. The company has launched tools for artists to safely create, license, and share their own voice models, opening new opportunities for fan engagement and monetization. Kits AI has amassed over 100,000 users since launching, with their voice cloning technology training more than 80,000 custom voices based on a conversion of over a million audio files. They're also backed by investments from a number of prestigious organizations and artists that include Steve Aoki, Lionel Richie, and Wycliffe Jean. During the interview, we spoke about some unexpected uses for vocal cloning, new revenue opportunities from using the platform, why the user interface is so important, and much more. I spoke with Evan and James via Zoom. First of all, I'd like some background from both of you before you started the company. So what were you doing and what kind of got you interested in going to this route, the AI vocal cloning route? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to start you here, James. So yeah, before starting Arpeggio Labs and Kits AI, I was working as a software engineer, big tech company called Workday. Historically, I mean, throughout my life, I had a huge interest in music brought uh, on by my two older brothers, Kyle and Austin who now work with us at Arpeggio, Kyle, the other co-founder. Yeah, I mean, I'd always imagined one day crossing my passions for music and technology in some way, shape or form, but it was kind of a pipe dream. And then James here actually was bringing to my attention so much of this interesting stuff going on in the, the blockchain space, the Web3 space at the time around attribution and um, automated payments and all these different things that we thought could really plug into the music industry in very interesting ways. And almost as an experiment, me and my older brother decided to try our hand at developing a small little side project that took music representations, music formats, almost like sheet music, and then put that uh, actually on chain. And then, you know, one thing went to another with that project and uh, it ended up being quite successful. And we thought, wow, here's an opportunity for us to actually pursue that you know long ago dream of crossing music and tech and move away from big tech and try our hand at a startup where 
uh, we're just solving real problems for musicians, artists in the realm of uh, music creation. And fast forward uh, a year and a half later, and here we are uh, licensing AI voice models, which you know wasn't even on our radar at the time of starting the company. So it's been a long journey to get here, but uh, you know, just grateful for every step. James has a has a definitely a different story to tell, but that's mine. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go back all the way to when I first met the Dylans, Evan and Kyle, who are brothers. Evan, obviously, here, his brother, the third co-founder. We were probably eight or ten. We've known each other all the way back since elementary school. And Dylan's very musical family, so third brother of theirs is a career producer. And I have vivid memories of like going to their house and playing guitar here with them in their basement and stuff like that. So, you know, Evan and I in particular have been friends for a long time. But the idea that we would ever start a music company, a music tech company, is kind of crazy and baffling. But um, yeah, my personal story before um, looping in with Evan and Kyle, I like them, studied computer science, was working as a management consultant, helping big companies do tech transformations, and then was working as a product manager at uh, MongoDB and had always kind of idolized entrepreneurship and wanted to do something. And when the very music native uh, Evan and Kyle came to me and said, hey, we've got this crazy idea for this music attribution stuff in the block, blockchain space you want to come help us out i was all in and very shamelessly i'm not a music person myself but i'm definitely come to love it and appreciate it and understand more and more about it from the business and licensing side so yeah like evan said i don't think when we started not even i don't think when we started we definitely didn't predict that we'd be doing anything in ai music but the journey from where we started through matters of licensing and collaboration definitely makes sense how we landed here and landed using this technology to kind of achieve some of those goals. Okay. You started with one thing in mind and then it switched to vocal cloning, AI enhanced vocal cloning. How did you get to that point? Yeah, it was, it was an iterative process. You could say, um, you know, as any startup, you're always trying to build kind of a minimum viable product, get that in front of users, um, see what's working and what's not, and then evolve that, you know, over time to find something that uh, is really solving a user problem. So I think we started out um, thinking about what problems are musicians facing around creation and attribution that blockchain could really plug in and start solving. And a lot of that had to do with sampling and remixing. So the process today around getting samples cleared or remixing uh, someone else's song is quite cumbersome and requires a lot of back and forth and who worked on what and when and who's going to get paid what and when a lot of uh, what blockchain is about payments that are very seamless lends itself to solving a lot of that, um, a lot of those issues. And so we started out with our first product, which was our Peggy Studio. It's an uh, in-browser uh, DAW, Digital Audio Workstation, that has a blockchain backend to it that knows exactly which sample you used, which payment address, um, how much, uh, how many royalties go to what artist. And it was a really cool proof of concept around uh, leveraging you know, an emerging technology like blockchain to solve some of that. And it's really hard to change any artist's workflow or to suggest, hey, use this entirely new application. But what we found was working really well um, with our Peggy Studio and that initial experiment was the sample aspect. So the idea that I can have a historical proof of the sample being put out into the world and then track where it's getting used. So forget any of the you know new way of making music, um, this idea of linking a sample to its derivative work 
was really, really interesting. And so that led us to our next uh, evolution of the product, which was Kits.io, a on-chain marketplace for sample licenses and also remix licenses, which are a little bit novel. There's a couple other companies that are very small that are doing this, TrackLib being one of those. And we were really excited about the idea of putting these licenses for sampling and remixing on chain and then also allowing artists and producers the ability to kind of link derivative work so the remixes that they created this the songs that the samples were used in back and then automate some of those royalty flows that we talked about and then you know fast forward a little bit more from that we're talking i think maybe march of this year we start seeing some of these uh remixes come out in the ai world you know the first drake weekend a uh, song was put out to a lot of uh, reservations and uh, fears around AI tech, completely rightfully so, because as any new technology comes out, it's going to be used in maybe an exploitive way, in which it was here where, you know, Drake and The Weeknd had no say in the music that was created with their voices. And uh, that was kind of the problem that we keyed into is, oh, interesting. There's a lot of pushback around this technology because Drake and The Weeknd uh, are completely cut out. What if we figured out a way to actually cut them in? Um, and it's similar to sampling and remixing, where a lot of the time songs will get created without an artist's permission, songs will get sampled without an artist's permission, or remixed without an artist's permission. And we had developed these licenses um, in that world that were really good at solving those problems. And we thought this isn't so different from a lot of the problems around uh, AI voice. And you know, as soon as we saw the Grimes uh, moment that you know followed the Week and Drake one, where she said, "Hey, actually, use my voice model for." creating derivative content and I'm going to own that and, you know, use it to my advantage. We said, we have to try our hand at some of this, you know, it's too interesting. It's too emergent for us not to develop some licenses, build out a platform around it. Um, and so here we are a few months later doing exactly that. Um, and so I guess that's kind of the journey of, you know, where we started and how we got here. What I find interesting here is I was just talking to somebody the other day who asked me, I have this song that I'm trying to sell to a music supervisor for a television show. And there's a couple lyrics that they want me to change. But the song was recorded in the 1990s. He can't find the vocalist anymore. So what he wanted to know is, well, is there an AI that I could use that I could just change those vocals? And I said, well, the first thing you gotta do is you have to separate the vocal out so it has something to train. And then, yeah, you can. But there was a real-world example of somebody that needed something like you have. And all they needed was like three words to be changed in order for them to sell this particular piece of music or, or license it. I think like we've obviously built this consumer application that's growing in a really significant and massive way. But what's come to mind that's kind of behind the scenes is all these B2B use cases that are very practical to business units. And one of them that comes to mind using that example is these estates who own the full 360 rights of deceased artists saying, oh, we can use this technology to actually release net new content in the likeness of this person. And that is kind of the same thing. You take an artist's vocals track uh, historically, you train a model on them and you can make new model. You can make net new music and release net new music. And yeah, sounds exactly like what you're describing. What does it take to train a model? I think, you know, everyone's almost figuring it out still as, as we go. It's so, it's so new and as much of a science as machine learning is, there's a lot of uh, trial and error and guesswork too. Um, 
which is very um, contradictory to the way most programming functions. But um, to put it simply, I mean, to make a voice model, you need a data set for the model to learn on. So that's basically studio acapellas of an artist's voice. Um, and shockingly, I think most people's instinct is like, oh, you need hours and hours of uh, vocals. But really, you you can get a very solid model off of 10 to 15 to 20 minutes of just dry studio acapellas of, of an artist singing. And, you know, I think it's best if those vocals are recorded fresh in a studio by an artist and they're really high quality. But, you know, going back to the use case that you stated right there, where, you know, not some of these estates or artists that we work with might not, you know, be recording new stuff or might not be alive anymore. And so, you know, you have to work with what you can get. And a lot of the times we find ourselves combining different AI technologies to help us, you know, AI vocal separation, which has gotten really, really good in the past couple of years as well. Um, and that allows us to essentially create models for for any artists that, that want ones, you know, uh, alive or or past based only off of, yeah, 10, 15 minutes of those, of those acapellas. It's really simple. And then Basically, you take those acapellas, you run them through our machine learning model. And then after, you know, a few hours of that kind of cycling through those vocals over and over and picking out the intonations and whatnot, then you'll have this program essentially that is trained, you know, on those vocals that is able to imitate that original uh, artist likeness in, in their voice. Is the track separation built into Kits AI? I didn't see it if it was. So it's built into one of our features behind the scenes, um, our YouTube feature, which allows you to paste in a YouTube link of any you know song, video, whatever it is. And that's going to separate the vocals behind the scenes, run a conversion on that through our AI model, and then smash those back together. And, and pretty soon we're going to uh, loop in uh, just standalone vocal separation into the platform. There's a lot of really good open source technology for vo- vocal separation, vocal transformation. I mean, if, I think a cool thing about a lot of this AI stuff is how collaborative and open it is. You know, a lot of this development is going on in Discord communities behind the scenes with, you know, people from, uh, you know, Japan or China and the US all collaborating and come together to, you know, forward this technology. And we think that's really exciting. And there's ways in which you can kind of plug and play different types of AI uh, technology to make things, you know, really powerful. About a month ago, somebody sent me an email with a, a WAV file, and it was me talking, but something I never said. And what they did is they cloned my voice from this podcast because there, there's like five minutes of me just talking by myself at the beginning. So they cloned me, and then they put words in my mouth. But they did it in the spirit of experimentation, or at least that's what they told me, and they promised it wouldn't go into the wild which was cool, but it it was kind of shocking. I'm, I'm listening. I'm thinking, I don't remember saying that, you know? I don't know. What, what was your reaction there? Like, were, I mean, were, were you scared at all? Were you like, whoa, this is kind of freaked me out? Or were you excited? I don't know. Well, I know enough about what's going on that I, I wasn't scared. I know enough about social media that if it got out, I, I kind of know how to counteract it. So what I was thinking of is, Oh boy, if this gets out, it's going to be a lot of work, (laughs) more than anything. But it was really good. It sounded just like me. I mean, that's not dissimilar from a lot of the the artists and personalities that we work with when they first hear their voice model. It's a mixture of, you know, wow, this is scary, you know, excitement around what's possible for this. And then, yeah, some reservations around like, wow, like if this is just out there in the open, like anything is possible. 
I, I think we see a world in which, you know, eventually anyone like yourself, you know, podcasters, artists, personality streamers are just going to have voice models for them. Hopefully, you know, private until made public. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting use cases uh, for not just musicians, but all types of creators around, you know, having access to these. Yes, but you're going the right way with this, with licensing it. That being said, I recently did a, a workshop online, three-day workshop on AI for music production. And the pushback I got and the hate mail I got was extreme. I've never received anything like that. With people basically saying, you know, if you're for AI, then I'm not, I'm not with you anymore. And, you know, even a death threat for doing something like this, for selling out musicians. So my point is that there are some people that get this and there are some that don't. Because you're selling this, some of it at least, to artists saying this is a license, licensable model for you to actually have another revenue stream. How difficult is that? It's difficult. It's becoming easier and easier is what I'd say. There are artists who have a lot of reservations, basically along the same lines that you have in terms of anybody can say anything. Uh, what does that look like? for me and what if they say something i think we hear a little bit less on the side of like oh this is going to supplant or replace me as an artist and generally speaking people are excited about the ways that it is additive to their careers and can benefit them and we've started to see that play out in pretty major ways with the artists that we already have in our library so to date we have nine artists who are signed and have licensed vocal models the revenue stream that they're earning based off the usage of their models is becoming quite significant so in the month of august each of them will earn about $500 each just from people subscribing to this library and using their using their voice. And these are independent artists and $500 a month is really quite significant money for them. Beyond that, we've also started to see legitimate commercial opportunities arise because these models are out there. So we've facilitated end users doing commercial releases with these artists and these artists are using each other's voice models to make new music, whether it's ideation for a project or it's taking a song that they already have written converting the vocal track and re-releasing it with somebody that they would have never thought of collaborating with. So we really think that the tool itself has the opportunity to be hugely and majorly additive. And what is never going to be replaced is these people and their likenesses and their identities and who they are as individuals. And the AI model has no significance without any of that, right? Nobody wants to use an AI voice model of, I mean, for likeness purposes, at least, for an artist that they've never heard of ever in their entire lives. But these people have their lived experiences, they have their stories, they have their background, they have their context. And uh, this is kind of making, bringing new forms of collaboration, making them possible. And then hopefully you guys can hear me without too much delay here. But I think the way in which we set out to build the platform, uh, we are you know, really intentional about putting artists at the forefront. So, I mean, even our licensing terms have very basic protections that immediately ease concerns for a lot of artists like, you know, personal use only, hate clause terminations, but still allowing them to be accessible. So you don't want to put too many restrictions on a model to where it's just useless and, you know, not very interesting to folks. And so that's why we've included the whole um, personal until approved type system where everything is personal use, which kind of de-risks a lot of it. Um, a lot of the pushback against the Drake AI, uh, weekend thing was when it hit DSP platforms, then the labels really started to pay attention and uh, everyone else. So yeah, a lot of protections built into our licensing terms in the platform that, you know, aid in this conversation, but it's still an uphill battle against, um, you know, a lot of the the doors that this opens and 
we're confident, you know, with every artist that joins the platform, with every monthly payment that we do and commercial release that gets facilitated and social media campaign for each one of these, that um, the value add for artists becomes more and more apparent um, over time and less uh, risky and scary for them as well. One of the things that I noticed here, and I deal mostly with artists that, well, they're not even artists, they're songwriters who are trying to sell their music, film and television. And a lot of them are want to be artists, but what happens is they get the cold dose of reality when a music supervisor says, yeah, this is great, but the vocal. So that's where what you're doing is so important because at that point, they don't care about the notoriety of the voice. All they care about is a good voice that fits what they're doing. So I can see how this could be something really big. And again, it's a B2B situation, but I can see where you know this could definitely fit into the music production pipeline here for film and TV. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the, the lowest hanging use cases um, that is just so helpful immediately to producers is, yeah, like you said, just being able to choose from a library of voices for whatever use case uh, you need at that very moment. Um, and we're trying to build that up day in and day out. It's uh, under our, the Kids AI website. It's called our royalty-free voice library because with the with the artist voices, you're tapping into their likeness and their audience and their fan base. And so those, at least for the most part, artists feel entitled to royalties on derivative work. So if you make a song with an artist voice, you owe them 20%. But with these generic uh, voices that we're talking about in the voice library that can be used just for you know various use cases within music production, um, those has no no royalties attached to them and they're available uh, for free on our website without any subscriptions. And that's going to grow and evolve over time. And you know eventually there'll be a world in which you just type in like male voice, pop, light timber, like falsetto high pitch, and then boom, you have this voice model uh, right in front of you. That's almost exactly what you're looking for. Maybe you drag in vocals as a reference and uh, we spit out a royalty-free model that is, is similar to that. But yeah, I mean, that use case is is cool. There's, it goes even beyond just like pitching too. You can layer in harmonies of different uh, types of vocals in or uh, yeah, it, it's just, I think we're learning a lot when you get this in front of producers because these are engineers and experimentalists at the end of the day. And so there have been some surprising ways in which they've used the technology that we haven't thought of. Most recently, some producers that are very in the weeds with audio engineering have been training voice models, not on voices, but on instruments. So these producers are dragging in 20 minutes of their uh, guitar or their bass synth. And then when you drag in vocals into one of these models that's trained on an instrument, you know, obviously the, the output is basically a voice to instrument type tool that is uh, very, very interesting to, to sound like. So that, that'll be coming soon. But this is all to say these use cases that producers are uncovering for the technology, you know, start with just basic voice conversion, but certainly don't in there. I saw that on your site, it said there's 80,000 voices. Does that mean there are 80,000 users? Yeah. So we've been out for eight weeks today, pretty much. We have 70,000 daily active users, about 350,000 user accounts and have done three and a half million audio converts. So that's like unique periods of time. Somebody dragged in a file, press convert and trained 150,000 plus models. So the demand here is absolutely massive. And, and I think it even blew our expectations away, but it's very clear to us that people are looking to support the way that they make content and make net new content using this technology and using vocal models. And 
as Evan said, uncovering more and more use cases by the day. We first thought it was going to be vocal models. And even now I keep saying vocal models, vocal models, but we're about to release these instrument models. And then what is it really? It's kind of like we're an audio model platform and then who knows where it goes from there. But you have some very interesting and elite investors, the kind that have to have a lot of confidence in, in a platform before they get involved. And also I see some interesting um, music celebrity backers as well. For anybody that's looking at this and, and thinking, well, this is a fly-by-night operation. Well, probably not because of the investors that you have. It's very strong. Yeah, it's been an honor to work with all of these folks and both on the investor side and the resources they've provided us, not just in financing, obviously, but also in connections and support and business development and all that kind of stuff, as well as some of these artists who are just so forward thinking in the way that sure, they're artists, but they're also investors and supporting companies trying to do cool things that align with their goals and align with their visions and stuff like that in the music creation space. It's been an unbelievable experience. I'm curious how you see it. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with everything you said. We're very lucky to um, be able to work with all of these folks. And I think at the end of the day, um, music is somewhat of a unique space where uh, there is an emotional and cultural component to this beyond just like, hey, go start a company and make us tons of money where people and the people we work with really care about um, a lot of the the missions and causes that we work on and recognize that the values that, you know, me, James, Kyle, the rest of the team hold and uh, wanting artists to capture more value here are at the forefront of everything that we do and uh, try and experiment with. Um, and so grateful that there are investors who see the bigger picture here, not just, you know, business-wise, but uh, culturally and are wanting to support us in all of these experiments that we've done. One of the things that I noticed, I, I've looked at a lot of different music AIs, music and audio, over a hundred. And what I found is there are some that are very easy and there are some that are really deep. And it makes me think, well, for some people, they like it really deep, but for most people, no, they're thinking of anything that's artificial intelligence, that it's going to make their life faster and easier. And one thing I found is your platform, and it looks like it's very easy in, in order to do what you got to do. So I think that's super important because pretty soon it's going to come up against which platform is going to be the easiest to use. Seems like you got, got it on the UI. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think another whole aspect of why we started Kids came out of uh, just how difficult it was to actually um, perform voice-to-voice -voice conversion when we were looking at things back in April. Not only was it cutting artists out of the picture, but it was very inaccessible. And so... I think we tackled both those problems at the same time with our platform and just focused on how can we make it as easy as possible for a user to experience the uh, magic of this technology, um, not only on the voice-to-voice uh, -voice conversion side, which is very simple, drag and drop, you know, and then you have your output voice, but also on the training side too. I think there's an equal magic in like, hey, how cool would it be for me to train a James voice model or my own voice model and see what that sounds like? And that can be even more mind blowing. So yeah, we've really focused on that. And I think a lot of the technology that you see coming out in AI music is very oriented around how can we make things easier for artists and users to create. And, you know, continuously, this has happened, you know, over the decades where music creation has just become more and more accessible. And that breeds entirely new genres where, uh, you know, you used to have to, book studio time and own tons of equipment in order to output anything of, you know, serious quality. And now all you need is a laptop and uh, 
a subscription to to Ableton and then pretty and that still requires tons of musical knowledge to be effective. You know, maybe there's a a new sound that comes out when people's creativity is unlocked, not from music theory, but just from, you know, human intuition in, in regards to AI. So very excited to see how, you know, our technology contributes to a lot of this um, democratized music creation and um, all these other exciting ones and those coming together and then just seeing what comes out of that. Okay, last question, James and Evan. You've gone through quite a journey to where you started to what Kits AI has become. What's the best piece of business advice or maybe just the best piece of advice that you received along the way or maybe just you learned yourself? That's a great question. James, I'll, I'll try and go first so you can think of a better answer than, than what I give. I think just deeply understanding the, the, user, the user journey. I mean, James and I aren't career musicians or never have been, but the closer that we've worked with artists and gotten behind them while they're using the product and seen how they work in Ableton and all these different programs that use them, the more and more we learn about all these different problems that come up that, you know, we can actually solve. So that's definitely one I'd say it's just the closer, the more time you spend in the room with the, with the musician, with an artist, with the producer, the better equipped you're going to be to tell, which sounds very, very basic and and simple, but when you're building a company and products, it's very easy to on things. And at the end of the day, you know, we're building for musicians and it's important to, bring yourself out of the clouds and into the weeds with these folks um, so that you don't lose sight of uh, the actual problems that um, you're trying to solve. And we're very fortunate to have a couple career musicians actually on the team with us, one being my middle brother, uh, who is a career producer, and then another being uh, awesome musician, Kyle Billings, and just bringing their perspectives into all of these different product discussions, business discussions, is a perspective that that can't be replaced with any number of incredibly smart engineers or business folks, you need to have the users in the room with you while you're building the product. And I think that speaks to our huge focus on user experience and user research. Actually, my middle brother, again, um, career producer, but also heads up the uh, user experience team at our company. So we're spending tons of time on calls with folks, you know, running surveys, running uh, features by them. Um, so that would be my my advice that I would give is just, you know, immense focus on the user throughout the uh, business and product development cycle. But James, I'm curious what you have to say. Yeah, I have a like two-part answer, but they're related. Long time ago, I read this article by the people who started Jasper AI, which is kind of a marketing AI platform for marketing copy, advertising, stuff like that. And it was one of the founders who wrote the story about how they had been building in the advertising space for six years and had all of these failed and unsuccessful startups until one day on their, you know, hundredth idea, they launched this AI supported chat GPT marketing thing and it took off and now they're a, a unicorn. And one of the points that they made was the longer that you spend solving a problem, it is inevitable that you solve something, even if your approaches aren't right along the way. And the worst thing that you can do basically is just give up because as long as you're kind of committed to the process, you're learning every step of the way, you're learning why things don't work, you will figure out something that does work. And, you know, our story isn't six years and we're not worth a billion dollars, but three solid ideas and iterations in, we landed on this one and it is definitely resonating with users in a pretty significant way. And then the second part that I would add to that is when you haven't, when you don't have that valid validated idea and you're hustling and you're trying things and you're trying to validate things, do it in the most light way 
way possible. And it's always more lightweight than you think it is. Always. It's always easy to throw up a website with some text that describes the idea and a button for an email form and gauge how many people actually want to use that thing before you go and build the full product. And it's always easier to act some features and roll and start with the beginning ones, especially when you don't know what people actually want and stuff like that. So as you're doing that process, I think that, I mean, timing wise, we couldn't have gotten here faster because the technology wasn't there when we started. But I look back and think if I ever had to start this problem again, or start a company again, set taking on a new set of challenges, we could cut down the time that it spent to get to something that really resonates with users probably in half, if not even more than that, just by being really thoughtful about what we've learned and what's working and how we actually validate those things. You can find out more about Kits AI at kits, K-I-T-S dot A-I. That's kits dot A-I. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. You can also learn all about the latest in music news, audio and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or you can find it in Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.